Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester, and do you like karaoke? It's good, you know? There's nothing to do at night. There's bowling, the movies. It's a third thing to do at night. And I'm Alex Sedensky, and what am I doing with a bowling ball? I don't even bowl. <laughs> Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here today to discuss the beginning of Season 4, Episode 1, Mel's Offer, which originally aired on January 4th, 2004. So Curb waited until right after the new year in 2004 to bring back the next season. And this is the first season that I saw live uh, each episode as it came out. Um, when did you first see the season of? Um, I think probably the same. This is definitely the first one I remember watching week to week. Uh, where like I was like slowly seeing the story build over time as opposed to binging. Yeah, well, but this season also had a narrative much more like a season-long um, arc in a way that wasn't as explicitly clear in the previous seasons and will pay off pretty well. I think the downside of when you have a season like that is that uh, sometimes the first episode of the season can be sort of more just table setting. And that's, yeah. true, and that's true for a lot of shows. Um, and I think that's probably true for season four of Curb. But uh, why don't we get into the recap and see how we Yeah, about very, very much so. So we are at a restaurant with Larry and Cheryl, and they're trying to place their order, but they don't really understand the Italian waiter. Um, he's, he doesn't seem to speak any English. They don't really understand what he's talking about. Um, apparently, there's no menus in this restaurant. Um, so eventually, they just settle on Larry's going to uh, have the first thing, and Cheryl's going to have the second thing. And they don't really know what they are. Um, so Cheryl reminds Larry that, you know, our 10th anniversary is coming up and I decided that what I want for my 10th anniversary present is for us to renew our vows and have some sort of vow renewal ceremony. Um, Larry pretty quickly agrees, um, shocking both Cheryl and me, the viewer, Yeah. Uh, even though I knew what was going to happen. I was still <laughs> like, really? He, he, uh, he agreed that quickly. Um, Larry quickly wants to pivot the conversation over to his presence, um, which he says has actually already been agreed upon. Yes. And we see a flashback to... Ama- amazing flashback. I amazing love Larry's flashback. hair, slightly grayer, slightly fuller. Yeah, somehow Larry, I think, looks older here. <laughs> well, he looks much more dated, for sure. Yeah. For and something so, that the whole thing made me he's got, some oh, Sa- he's got some, like, Sally Jesse uh, glasses with, like, the plastic big red frames. Yeah. He, the implication is that they got married in, like, 1987. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really make sense, right? Because he, he's really, like, sporting, like, the 70s, like, Woody Allen look there. 
Yeah. With those glasses. Um, yeah. And Cheryl has like this big perm. Anyway, and they, need, they need to indicate the time has passed. Yes. Yes. They, uh, they do so successfully. Um, so we see them. They're actually sitting in this very restaurant. Um, Cheryl's saying how, you know, it's really time. We need to get married. Uh, even though my friends think I'm crazy to marry you. I really want to. Um, Larry, of course, is taken aback. A, by a this. great proposal, by the way. Yeah. No one thinks um, this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, she says, you know, I really want to be a David. Larry thinks that's nuts. You know, I have to be a David, but nobody should want to be one voluntarily. Cheryl wonders, is the reason why you're reluctant to get married because then you're not going to be able to have sex with other women? Yeah, which is an insane thing for her to bring up. I understand they need it for the story. Yeah. But in what world is Cheryl worried that Larry's such a ladies' man? It doesn't really make sense, as she will acknowledge when we flash back to the modern time. Yeah. So it really doesn't make sense that the offer was ever proffered. Yeah. um, Well, I mean, I guess this is consistent with, like, you know, something must have happened to Cheryl. Um, during this time period that made her become infatuated with Larry David, that like she had these blinders on that he was this like amazing ladies man and you know a great Perhaps. guy to marry and everyone else thinks she's crazy. Perhaps. Um, so what she offers is if you marry me, then for our 10 year anniversary, you're allowed to have sex with somebody else. So and I have will- one other question here. So she says, if you get married to me right now, and the implication is almost that they went before a judge like that minute, which would also sort of feed into why she wants to do the formal renewal of vows at 10 years because they never really had a formal marriage. So is that, what, is that what we're supposed to believe, that they never really had a, a wedding ceremony? I wouldn't think so, but it's possible. That's not what I – that's not what yeah, I didn't think of that. Um, I don't know. Yeah it's, yeah, it's weird that she's like so – this is like such a big deal to her, this re- re- wedding renewal. Yeah. But alas – that's what she wants. Um, so we flash forward back to the present day, and Cheryl says, yep, I remember, and you know what? A deal is a deal. Larry says, oh, come on, I'm just joking. But Cheryl insists, um, if you think you can pull it off, go ahead. Uh, makes it making it clear that she doesn't think he's capable of yeah. picking up a woman. She's and, really, she's uh, really negative. The act. <laughs> yeah, she's basically daring him to do it. Um, so they're back there in the car, and they're heading over to the karaoke bar where they're going to meet Jeff. Cheryl really doesn't want to go. Uh, she doesn't like karaoke. She says, you know, if we skip it, I'll, let's go home and I'll make it worth your while. But Larry's like, nah, I want to go to karaoke. Yeah. The, the, the guy who uh, turns down sex for karaoke is the same guy who's going to be able to just pull the ladies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so they walk in and Mel Brooks has the microphone. He's performing karaoke for the group. Um, Larry's filling Jeff in on what just happened at their dinner. Jeff is amazed that Cheryl has made this offer, but Larry's really skeptical that he could actually pull this off because he says picking up women is the thing he is the worst out in the world other than drawing. Yeah. And he, uh, he wants to show Jeff. He's going to do a demonstration. He goes over to a woman at the bar and starts to flirt with her. Uh, he starts to opine on the merits of karaoke. He says it's like a third thing to do after bowling in the movies. The problem with bowling is you can't find a ball. That's the problem. Really, you got to get your own ball. But I don't bowl enough to get my own ball. It takes a lot, of, a lot of space in the house. You keep looking at it in the closet. What am I doing with a bowling ball? I don't even bowl. How do you get rid of a bowling ball? Who do you give a bowling ball to? Nobody bowls. You throw a bowling ball in the garbage can. You know what that sanitation man's going to do? He's going to knock on your door. That's hope that he's going to be. He's going to say, who the fuck threw a bowling ball in the garbage? Yeah. I had a teacher in eighth grade who told us that when he was growing up, uh, uh, as a, when he was a kid, he had a neighbor who would get really pissed off when him and his siblings' like balls and various toys 
ended up in his yard. And so, yeah, you see where this is going. And so he would like get very angry when they left their toys and stuff. So one night, uh, and then he'd like kick it or throw it back to them, whatever. So one night they got a bowling ball, they left it in his yard and he like ran up. It was like dark. So he couldn't really see. And he saw a ball and he ran up and he kicked the bowling ball really hard thinking it was something else. <laughs> and, uh, oh, was, yeah. Which is, you know, I guess it's funny the way that our teacher was telling it to us. But I assume that the guy then told uh, my teacher's parents, and he probably got in a lot of trouble as a child. So, yeah, that's, but yeah, uh, but it's a good prank. Yeah, it's you know, it's a good prank. Except for uh, the guy who uh, breaks his foot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's less funny for that guy. L- l- less funny for him. Yeah, that he's just the other guy though. Yeah, the exactly. Wrong, he's the wrong guy. Yeah, I'm like Wanda. Who cares about the other guy? Yeah. So, um, so obviously this goes uh, very poorly for Larry. Um, the uh, the MC calls up on Larry to be the next person to go up to sing. Everyone pressures him to go. Everyone's very excited to hear Larry. Um, he's, you know, he's a little awkward about it, but when, once he takes the mic, he's actually pretty good. And we see uh, Mel taking notice of the way the crowd is responding to him. Um, so it's the next day. Well, and but Larry... knowing us, knowing how the season ends. Yeah. Does Mel really think that? Yeah, so we have, yeah, it's, it's, so I, this is something that's obviously going to be very important for us to track over the course of the season is to see, you know, how deeply embedded the, the ending is. Um, you know, I, you know, this is a, a rewatch podcast, so I don't think we need to uh, avoid spoilers, but, you know, those of us who have seen the season before know that the ending is going to lead us to learn that this was a, a setup from the beginning, a producer's like setup in that Melbourne looking for a way out of the producers and he thought that Larry David would be such a colossal disaster um, that that would finally bring the producers run on Broadway to the end and that would be his ticket out. Um, but yeah, from the, from the start, like there's certainly nothing about what he sees here that should say like, oh, this guy is going to be like, just like an epic failure. Yeah. Who, uh, are the, yeah. Like, who are these guys? Are they like real life people? I didn't look it up. The two guys who oh. are Mel's buddies who are sort of against it the whole season. Yeah, um, it's one of them is like, I forgot his name, but it's like two actors. It's not, it's one okay. of the guy who's in a bunch of Mel Brooks movies. Okay, but they uh, look like the kind of guys who would hang around with Mel Brooks and be his yes men. Yes. Or his yes. no men in this circumstance. Yes. Um, okay, so we got Norm, who's played by Paul Mazursky. He's in some movies. He's in Curb. He's in The Sopranos a couple times. Uh, Rudy DeLuca, he plays Rudy. He, yeah, so this guy was in Spaceballs and History of the World. So this guy is just in a bunch of Mel Brooks stuff. Okay. The other guy, I think, is in more of a mobster-type movies and stuff like that. But All right, but yeah. It's the next day, and Larry and Jeff are pulling into a parking lot, and we learn that Mel Brooks has asked Larry to come meet him at his office for some reason that he hasn't told Jeff anything about. Um, as he's pulling into the lot, Larry almost collides with a man who is riding by in his wheelchair and talking on his cell phone. Um, they get into a screaming match and they're cursing each other out. They're arguing about whether or not it's okay for someone to be talking on their phone when they're crossing the street if they're in a wheelchair. Um, is the, are you basically, uh, are you a walker or are you a driver in this situation? And therefore, do the, you know, no cell phone while you're driving rules apply? Nothing to say. This is a very boring episode, honestly. Um, yeah, there's not a lot right here. It's really, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's really just setting the table for the producer's storyline and the, yeah. the rest is pretty filler. So they walk into the building, and Larry finds a wallet on the floor. He hands it to Mel's receptionist, uh, who's played by Rachel Harris from The Hangover. She plays Ed Helms' uh, very bitchy fiancé in that movie. Um, he, he tells her, uh, she realizes, oh, it belongs to the computer guy, Dennis. Uh, it must have fallen off his chair. 
Larry realizes, oh, this is the wheelchair guy. It's the same person. Um, he learns that the receptionist is a lesbian who's in the process of adopting a baby with her partner. Larry notes that he has a wife, but she's more of a rival than a partner. Um, she tells Larry that they're adopting a boy from China, and Larry goes on to suggest some names, all of which ends in Ang, um, which uh, Wang, Fang, Bang, Tang. Larry thinks this is very clever. Um, the receptionist is not, uh, not very impressed. Um, is, you know, very, uh, seems to be offended by Larry's suggestion. Um, so Larry, uh, he excuses himself to head to the bathroom, but as he's going in, Mel is coming out, and the door hits Larry in the head, and he gets cut on his forehead. So we're, uh, Jeff is now, he's taking Larry to the hospital. Um, they ask him to sign in. Larry doesn't want to, because he doesn't want some other, you know, subsequent guest to come see his name on the list, and we know Larry David was here, but everyone, you know, convinces him, just write your name down, you know, you need to go see the doctor. Um, so we see a little, you know, quick time lapse of Larry. He's uh, hanging out in the doctor's uh, examination room. He's playing around on the chair. He's looking through the drawers. He weighs himself. Um, after a little while, he gets bored. He decides to call Jeff in the waiting room using the phone of the doctor's office. Jeff says, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this. The doctor is going to be angry at you that you're using his phone. Um, doc, the doctor finally comes in. Um, this is none other than the uh, library cop, uh, Mr. What's his name? Mr. Bookman, Detective Bookman. Yes, Detective Bookman. Detective Bookman. Yeah. Philip uh, Baker Hall. Philip Baker Hall, yes. He's also from uh, Heart Eights. Yeah. Well, here's my question. Like, how does Mel Brooks have an assistant with such a zero sense of humor? Like, she works for Mel Brooks, right? Um, yeah, that's a good point. Like, and Mel Brooks is, is like a guy who loves shtick and loves, like, it just doesn't make any sense that she could be so humorless. I thought, like, I mean, Tang is not actually a bad name because it's like China, but it's not China. It's a juice. Very funny. Very Mel Brooksian almost. I mean, offensive and stupid, but the, I mean, so is most of Mel Brooks, honestly, you know? Yeah. Um, also, you know, I, I would just assume, well, whether right or not, if you're a receptionist in an office like Mel Brooks, like you're going to be dealing with like asshole celebrities from time to time and your yeah. job is probably to kind of just, yeah. you know, bite your lip. And The funny thing is Larry tries to be know. more offensive there than he actually, like she picks up on. Like he says, well, that's going to be the least of the kids' problems, which is an imply joke about about having two moms or having yeah. interracial moms or whatever. Uh, maybe, maybe, I guess maybe she does pick up on it because uh, when, when the other mom comes later, the partner comes, she certainly is upset. The only thing I like about this humorless woman is I just love the segue of going from her directly to Bookman from Seinfeld. Right. He's such a famous in the curb Seinfeld world. Like he's, if you, like if you say like, who's the most humorless person in the history of, of Seinfeld, you probably say him. And so I yes. like how they go from this receptionist directly to him. Yeah. And, um, you know, much Although like. I don't his, even know if that was intentional or not. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. But um, yeah. And much like his uh, character from Seinfeld, uh, Dr. Morrison is very much a stickler for the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. He's very annoyed that Larry's using the phone. Uh, Larry doesn't see why it's a big deal. How does it hurt anyone? But doctor is very insistent. The rule is the rule. You know, whatever Larry, every logic that Larry uses to try to show to him that, you know, this it's not a big deal. It's a local call, whatever. Um, the doctor's like, well, that's not why we make the rule. We have, you know, a reason why we have our rules. Uh, even though obviously they don't. Um, but yeah. Um, he looks at Larry's cut. He says, you know, you're not going to need stitches. Um, Larry still is not dropping the thing with the phone. He keeps arguing that the rule doesn't make any sense. Uh, the doctor explains that when he does the stitches, Larry may feel a little prick. And Larry said, yes, I understand that there will definitely be a prick involved. And they go back and forth, each agreeing that there is indeed one prick here. 
Um, which was, yeah, this was like funny the first time, still pretty funny the second time, but by like the eighth time, this joke kind of ran its course. Yeah. That's what my son uh, said. By was, the way, but the whole prevarication over the phone is very similar to Larry's fight with the Sklar brother, right, at his uh, shop the other time, where Larry just like keeps insisting and insisting on things, even though he's clearly losing and it's, he's disincentivized to do so. And maybe that time he didn't realize there was a risk of him not being able to buy the uh, jacket. But here he clearly realizes that he might just piss off a doctor who, you know. Yeah, know, like, yeah, it, I mean, it seems like Larry's uh, screwing himself here. Yeah, and you know what? And he should know from Morty. He wrote Morty's scene. You know, what, yeah. kind of, uh, <laughs> what kind of clip chart are you guys running here? Yeah, you know, sometimes the, the, rule, the rules at a place that you're at, you don't agree with. But, yeah. you know, you're not in charge of that place. Yeah, Larry's not a big fan of doctors. Yeah. Well, yeah, the doctors have a lot of arbitrary rules. Um, yeah, so the doctor's working on him, and as he's looking down, he's, he, uh, he drools a little bit, hits Larry on the head, which gets Larry really furious. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so it's, Understandably. Uh, yeah, we're back in that Mel's building, and Jeff asks, you know, they're waiting for the elevator. Jeff asks Larry if he's been thinking of anyone for the 10th anniversary present yet. Larry says, he has three months. I'm going to take my time to pick the right one, and you, my fat friends, will be the first to know. Yeah, I'm uh, going to say something here. I've always been annoyed in basketball when it's the when the clock is ticking, it's the end of the fourth quarter, and you're down by one point or by two points. You should not be, like, waiting for the perfect – like, you need to try and score immediately because if you miss, then you want there to be as much time as possible to foul and try and extend right. the game. You don't dribble down right. or wait for the last shot. You do that at the end of an earlier quarter, or you do that if it's tied. But when you're losing, you need to score immediately. So Larry should not be an attitude, oh, I'm going to take my time. Like, Larry's – like, Larry's – a low percentage shooter here. So he's just got to start shooting and shooting and shooting as much as he can, basically, and hope for rebounds. Yeah. Although I guess you could argue that, like, what's more likely to happen if you leave time is it's like a situation where you scored and now the other team has the chance then that, like, you're, if you only have, like, four seconds left, that's not going to be enough time to, like, then foul them, get the ball back, you know, you're, you're going to lose. So in this example, if, if Larry successfully has sex with someone now with two months to go, what, Cheryl's going to want to go have sex with someone else? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, you're the one who used this metaphor. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Okay, fair. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, and then he does this weird thing where he's calling Jeff a fatso, which I think is a Popeye voice. That's what it sounds like. I, I wasn't sure what voice it was. Yeah. yeah. Big fat, yeah, I wasn't sure. Big fat, so, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of voice. Um, okay, so, yeah, they're still waiting for the elevator. The wheelchair guy comes out, and Larry asks, oh, did you get your wallet? Turns out he did, but the receptionist took credit and didn't mention Larry at all. So they head up, and Larry confronts her about the wallet. Turns out that she got $100 for it. Um, for some reason, her partner is, shows up at the office, um, she's very angry at Larry for not approving of their lifestyle, which I don't think he really didn't approve. Um, I guess it's that, you know, maybe she's referencing that, that one comment that you said before, but overall, I don't think Larry really has a problem. With them. Um, she yells at Larry, pushes him against the wall saying they don't want to name their baby after a drink and forces him to apologize. Um, then she asks him, what are you doing here? Very anyway? impressive how tough, uh, how tough she is. Yes, to which, as I said, he should ask her, what are you doing here anyway? You're at your wife's or partner, sorry, partner's place of employment um, to accost strangers? I don't understand what you're doing here. You think she knew Larry was coming in and she came specifically to confront Larry? Yes, it seems like she was hiding behind the door waiting for Larry. 
Yeah, I mean, she must a, have known when on the schedule. You know, look, this woman has access to Mel Brooks' schedule. She knows when yeah, he's coming. This is a bit lucky. All right, I think we have an early candidate for worst person. Um, okay, so they head uh, into uh, Mel's office, and he says he was very impressed by Larry's performance as karaoke the other night. He tells Larry that the guy who's currently playing Max Bialystok on Broadway is going on the road, leaving a vacancy for the lead role in the producers, and he wants Larry to fill the role and be Max Bialystok in the producers on Broadway. Larry is very flattered, but he's reluctant as he's never acted before. I think Certainly he was not. so surprised. I, he had no idea why he was coming in there, but this isn't what he was expecting. Yeah, I mean, he probably figured he wants to maybe we'll write something together. Yeah. Um, he certainly didn't expect that he's going to be asked to play the lead in the musical. Yeah. Um, Mel tells him, you know, when we made the, the original 1967 movie, The Producers, uh, which I watched this week for the first time, as part of this uh, project for the podcast, the guy, uh, Mel says, the guy who played Carmen Ghia was this Greek actor named Andreas Vucinus. And Andreas used to say, either you got it or you ain't. And Larry, you got it. Um, yeah, Larry's, uh, he seems to be very moved by this. Uh, Mel also notes that Ben Stillerill is going to be taking over at the same time. So they're going to play the two leads together. Yeah. Weird that they wouldn't do a screen test or anything together. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and you would think like someone like Ben Stiller, like he would want to know who's going to be the other lead before yeah. he would agree. It's 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 it would be very unusual that if it's between Ben Stiller and Larry David, if one walks, it's going to be Ben Stiller. But you know, yes. Yes. again, apparently Mel has ulterior motives. Yes. Um, so he tells Larry, you know what? Why don't you come to see the show tonight? Let's see what you think. Um, Larry says, you know, I still think this is a joke, and I think that Alan Hunt or Jamie Kennedy is going to come out. But Mel says, no, it's real. You're going to do it, and you're going to be great. Yeah. By the way, when Larry David and Mel Brooks are in a conversation, the rule is that no reference can be less than 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, although Jamie Kennedy was more recent, right? Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah, I think that was like an idea show. Similar ideas, uh, candid camera. Um, yeah, so uh, they, they uh, Larry and Jeff leave. And the assistants, uh, Norm and uh, the other guy, uh, Rudy, uh, they say, Norm says, this is a huge mistake. Zero Mostel, Nathan Lane, Jason Alexander, and Larry David. Which, by the way, the last two work very well together, actually. Yeah, yeah. But only, only in, in hindsight, right? In 2004, Larry had never acted in anything in the world of Curb. He hasn't done the Broadway show that he'll do in real life, right? right? Fish in the Dark. He hasn't done the show. Which, Curb Jason, which interestingly enough, Jason Alexander took over for him. Yes. Um, yeah. You saw I, that, right? I saw, yeah, I spoke about this on the podcast. And you I, saw, saw it, I saw it with Larry David. Yeah, but you weren't allowed in. Yes. Because yes. I was like two minutes exactly. late. It yes. made me stand in like the vestibule and watch yes. the first half on a screen. Yeah. But um, I just wasn't sure if you saw it with Larry or with Jason. Yeah, and I saw the producers on Broadway with Richard Kind in the lead. As oh, yes, yes. Stuff. You said that on the podcast. Yeah. Or was that off the podcast? It was also like a fun wrinkle. Yeah. Um, this, this, uh, this line from Norm reminded me of in Seinfeld when George goes to work for the Yankees and Jerry's like, Ruth DiMaggio, Mantle, Stanza? Yeah. I wonder if that will be uh, in my Seinfeld lines. Oh, I would, hope, I would think so. I don't know. I have 755, I but somehow I Yeah, I know. Uh, it's it's like. hard to get through, but that's, yeah, so that's an all-timer for me. Yeah. I love that one. I use that all the time. Um, but yeah, Mel says, listen, when I know, I know, and this time I know. So that's that. Uh, I have good news for you. Uh, line 304. Ruth, 
Gehrig, DiMaggio, home handle, Costanza from the opposite. Oh, I forgot about Gehrig. That, that's a uh, that's a spo- spoiler, by the way, for a future uh, episode of. Oh, you're saying it already has been approved? Yeah. No, I'm saying no. That will be on season. We haven't got that far yet. But ah, uh, you haven't got yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I don't. I you, you have a lot of uh, sp- space and time bending things on your podcast. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're uh, we're at the show. Larry gets his ticket. His head is hurting, so he takes a painkiller. Cheryl warns him that you know maybe you shouldn't because it's going to make you tired. And how are you going to take it without water? And we see him try to contort himself to get the uh, pills down his throat. Uh, he sees Ben and his wife Christy, and they go say hi and discuss. Oh, it's so so funny. We're each offered parts in the show. Ben is a little surprised. He asks Larry if he yeah. could even act or sing. The answer to which both is no. Yeah. I, um, I love Ben. Uh, ben this entire season uh, is just phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. He, he really plays that like, he had that like bitter side of him, yeah. um, like from like dodgeball um, or like, like the character he plays on Friends, I feel like is very similar to he. Yeah. Except here he's playing himself. And I really respect people who can play an asshole version of themselves, you know, yeah. because like they're not afraid of their ego or their reputation. Yeah, no, and he's he's much funnier as an asshole, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and Larry's like, no, Mel actually just saw me in the karaoke bar and offered me the part. <laughs> Which, like, like, Ben is just like, what the hell? This is crazy. Um, they say goodbye to each other. Ben offers a handshake, but Larry give, only gives him a pat on the shoulder because he had noticed that Ben had just sneezed on his hands. Um, they walk away, and Cheryl's really disappointed in Larry. He criticizes him for not shaking the hands. So we cut forward and they're sitting at the show. Larry's getting tired as Max and Leo make their deal to, you know, do a show together, saying nothing will ever come between us. Um, as Cheryl whispers to Larry, she brings up the 10th anniversary pl- present and says, I just want to let you know there's some ground rules. This is, number one, it's a one-time only thing. And number two, the deadline is going to be our anniversary at midnight, which Larry says, interestingly enough, that's going to be opening night of the show for the producers on Broadway. Yes. Foreshadowing. Yes. Um, Cheryl asks Larry, you really think you're going to do this show? And Larry looks over and eyes the great Katie Huffman playing Ula on stage. And Cooley says, yeah, I think I'm going to. <laughs> yes. She has uh, quite an appearance, uh, yes. I guess. I, I mean, so is that actually how it happens on the producers, where she comes out and starts dancing and shaking her tush and everything? Um, I, I don't remember the, the, okay. the, the musical, yeah. Yes, I, but it definitely appeals to Larry, and Larry definitely finds ass- extra motivation to... Uh, yeah, I assume that's a, yeah, I assume it's a scene straight out of the musical. Yeah, but I was uh, always wondering if they sort of modified it a little bit for the purpose of this scene on Curb. Yeah, I guess that's possible. So Larry starts dozing off, and he starts drooling, and of course his drool falls below, and of course who's sitting in that exact seat? <laughs> None other than Dr. Morrison, who's also at this very show. Yeah. And so the episode comes to a conclusion. Yeah. For season four, episode one in the books. Yeah, so as we said at the top, to me, this is one of the worst episodes we've seen. It's just set up for the season-long narrative. Nothing particularly funny. Nothing interesting happens. We get introduced to a lot of, you know, we get introduced to Mel Brooks and Ben Stiller, and, and it lets us know it whets our appetite for the rest of the season. But if you look at this episode in a vacuum, I'm going to say that it's just pretty, pretty good. I'm going to give it one and a half. Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. One and a half is exactly what I was going to say. Pretty, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's the third worst episode we've seen so far. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's just not yeah. funny. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's probably better on a rewatch just because like, you know you, what's coming. Yeah, you know what's coming, and you keep getting little hints. Oh, I remember when Ben Stiller was going to, you know, get into that fight with Larry, and like, you know, you think ahead to so the plot twists are going to happen with the producer stuff, with the Cheryl uh, anniversary present storyline, with all you know the various different women that Larry will encounter over the course of the season. Uh, but yeah, the episode itself is not that good. The, the storylines we get here are kind of silly; they don't really make a lot of sense, as I think we uh, pointed out over the course. Yeah, it's funny that, that you think that it's sort of better in a rewatch. I would actually argue the opposite. When you were watching it live, first of all, you're excited for the first episode of Curb because you've been waiting, you know, many, many months. Second of all, when you see Mel Brooks and you see Ben Stiller and you see what's happening, you're like, oh, wow, you're, I'm excited. Gonna, I'm, you're excited for the next episode so much so. Like, because there, a lot of shows have not a great, uh, you know, I've thought of seasons of Game of Thrones or even seasons of Curb, but the first episode isn't so good. But it's not really a downer because you're so excited it's back. Right. For us, we're potting through week by week, and it really stands out how you know much doesn't happen in this episode. Yeah, it's it's a slow so, episode, weak yeah. storylines, not nothing that funny. Yeah, um, third time you've yeah. given an episode one and a half, so it's also in your bottom three, obviously. Yeah, it's 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 really not a great episode, which is a shame. Um, but you know, they can't all be great, and I I know for a certain that we have some classics ahead of us. This yes, year, we so have I'm some good worried. ones coming up. <laughs> All right, what about your uh, Come With Guy? Um, come With Guy, I'm going to go with uh, your usual favorite. I'm going to go with Jeff, mm. who's, you know, really uh, takes care of Larry. He takes him to the, he first, you know, he gets him in with Mel Brooks. He encourages him to take the job. He takes care of him at the hospital. Um, I think he's really, you know, he's really Larry's right-hand man from uh, the beginning of this episode to the very end. Interesting. So for a split second, I thought I was going to go with Mel, excuse me, with Jeff. But then I thought, well, of course I have to go with Mel. I have to go with Mel Brooks. I mean, first of all, the first scene we see him, fantastic singer, and he's yes. really carrying the narrative of the whole episode and really of the whole season. Yeah, yeah, certainly a fair. Um, so I was, I thought, for a split second, I thought about Jeff, and I'm like, well, no, because if I pick Jeff, I obviously get a dunk all over me and say, how did you not pick uh, Mel? And so I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't pick Mel. Um, yeah, Cheryl but, also not a bad candidate, uh, being yeah. very cool with the anniversary gift. Yeah, and she's off, I mean, I mean, Av, would you ever choose karaoke over sex? <laughs> um, no, I don't think, I mean, it depends who was going to be a karaoke. Oh, ah, okay, yeah, if Mel Brooks is going to be there. If Mel Brooks is there, <laughs> maybe, yeah. All right, uh, who's the like, worst person? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I alluded to it earlier. I think Bobby's the worst person um, because, like, Larry doesn't do anything that bad. He's fine. Okay, so he, you don't know, like the this, this stupid baby name that some stranger made up. Like, you're coming into your partner's place of work in order to accost a person that you've never met about some stupid thing? Like, I, I mean, I think she's being a good uh, spouse. Oh, come on. I don't know. To, really? me, we- to me, wheelchair Dennis has to be the worst person. <laughs> Yeah, he's First of all, he's on his phone, going into traffic, uh, endangering his life and the lives of others. Second of all, he's a jerk about it. Third of all, when a guy finds his wallet, he's not even showing any appreciation to the guy. So yeah. I'm, uh, I think Dennis is the worst person. What's the name of the uh, spouse, by the way, who you call the worst person? Bobby. That. Oh, B-O-B-I? Okay. All right. Uh, I mean, I, I wish I had a, a spouse who defended me as fiercely as Bobby defends her uh, partner. Which is, is funny because, like, I don't think she's named in the episode, at least not that I noticed. And I don't think she returns. So, like, it's weird that she gets a name, but then, like, Susie Nakamura, who was in, like, six episodes last season, is just, like, assistant manager. No, but she at least... Well, so it's interesting because uh, uh, Dennis did not get a name in the credits. He's just uh, man in the wheelchair. But I actually checked in the script because they do call him Dennis at one point. Oh, yeah, he's Dennis. He works on the computers here. Yes. 
So, uh, but I mean, yeah, but the manager, the manager last uh, season never had a name said and never had a name uh, credited. So yeah, yeah. But Bobby gets a name here. I'm assuming yeah. the actress is named Bobby. Uh, no, the actress is named Leela Lee. Oh, interesting that they, uh, yeah. it's rare that they give a, a normal yeah, actress. This is what we need. We need, to, we need someone to, we need like a deep dive done on how these people are named. So yeah. Um, well, she was on Scrubs at some point. She was on Friends. All right. So she's, uh, I liked she, her here. Yeah, she uh, let's, a talk lot about, of, uh, let's talk about all the celebrity cameos. So we have, um, you know, uh, three big names really introducing themselves in this episode, and I'd argue four because we have Mel Brooks, of course. Who is Mel Brooks the most famous person to play himself? I, I don't think is Mel Brooks more famous than Scorsese? Probably not, right? Um, I think I, this is what I go back to before. Like, I think Mel Brooks is more recognizable. What about then Ted Danson? Not more than Ted Danson, and definitely not more than Shaq. Yeah, Shaq is clearly the winner, but I think Brooks is, is yeah. on the Mount I, I Rushmore. I think we have coming one up that's going to maybe not surpass Shaq, but is going to be the number two. Okay. Well, well what about Ben Stiller? Ben Stiller. And the question is, at this point, Ben Stiller yeah. is not a movie star yet at this point, is he? In 2004. Mm-hmm. 2004? He, um, he had that show, the Ben he's Stiller. He's been in some stuff. Let's yeah, see. he had been in stuff, but I don't, you know, I mean, he had like a great cameo in, um, in Happy Gilmore, for example. Yeah. Obviously way well, Meet the Parents might have been out already. Okay, let's yeah, let's go to Ben Stiller's IMDb. Ben Stiller's photography. Let's pull it up. Let's see what we got here. All right, so Zoolander had already been out. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Okay, so he's a big name. Darcy and Hutch. Okay, so he's uh, definitely a big name, but he's not as big as um, Brooks or Scorsese or Danson, probably. Yeah, I think he's lower than Ted Danson, for sure. Okay. yeah, I think um, he's lower than all three of those guys. Now, uh, Christine Taylor, uh, of course, Ben Stiller's wife, most famous uh, in our world because, of course, she plays a girlfriend on Seinfeld. Yes. A girlfriend who uh, let, Jerry can't figure out what's wrong with her, but uh, yes. the fact that his parents like her so much, there must be something wrong with her. And then we have Katie Huffman, who plays herself, although in this episode, she only plays the character in The Producers. For now. Don't actually, yeah, so we don't actually learn her name as Katie Huffman in this episode, and we only right. see her sort of from afar. I'm going to argue that Katie Huffman, though, and she will have a starring role throughout the season as she is a big enough name that she counts, I think, in terms of a celebrity. It's, it's funny because I remember watching this season and thinking of Katie Huffman as a massive, massive star. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. I just... Yeah, I don't know. But then, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, you know is, is that just because the fact that she was starring in a show that was also starring Stiller slash Wimmer and Larry David, so I just sort of assumed, well, she also must be a huge, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she she was like in some sh- shows here and there, but I don't think that she had been a lead in a show yet at this point. And she's in some movies, but again, I don't think ever in like a leading role. I think she was more of a, a stage performer, which yeah, well, she definitely was a big I stage performer. Not something that I would have been as familiar with. That well, time. but that but that she had literally won a Tony for yes. playing this character on the producers. Yes. So yeah, yeah, so so she's, okay, so, yeah. she's so famous she's in the world of the producers. Now. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. She's, she's definitely very famous in the world of the producers, and she's the professional that's going to drag Larry and yeah, Schwimmer, whoever it is. I mean, Schwimmer's obviously a professional actor, but you know, I don't know how much stage experience he had. <laughs> yeah, we should look into that. Yeah. All right, is it time for us to go to the Postman? Uh, yes. Postman! Postman, come here! Tell the neighborhood! Postman will only ring once this week. Mm. Email from Olin Allen. He says, a new season and off to a jam-packed start. Certainly an episode that was more laying foundations for the season and not knocking home runs, but there were some nice singles and a couple of doubles that struck on the laughter front. Sets up the season and enjoyable with so many cameos. Wonderful to see the great Mel Brooks being his avuncular self. And of course, Paul Baker Hall. 
I think Philip Baker Hall um, is always great to see, having a long history with Larry, most notably being the best thing in sour grapes by a few country miles. Mm. I think he may have also portrayed some little character in Seinfeld you may have touched on too. Yes, of course. Of course, I'm most excited for the great Katie Hoffman, the original Ula on the Broadway production of The Producer. Such a big fan of hers that I requested a song of hers on National Irish Radio on Thursday, August 15th, 2002. Wow. So very specific, Owen. Wow. Back in the day when you had to send out letters with stamped envelopes for such requests. Unfortunately, I was too busy playing backyard and soccer to hear my request read out. And more unfortunately, of the four artists I asked to get played, she was the only one they didn't have. Mario Lanza, Dean Martin, and Andy Williams were the others. Uh, this is a very precise memory. Uh, he says, the deal of the week felt like a very even-handed episode. Probably Ben Stiller for offering to shake hands after sneezing. Uh, for the come with gal, he says, Cheryl for sticking to her 10-year promise and putting reasonable ground rules down. Uh, for the rating, he gives it pretty, pretty, pretty good. Three pretties out of five. So, wow. Owen, yeah. a little bit higher nice on the episode we are. Yeah. All right, next week, we uh, get deeper into the story. It's Ben's birthday party. Definitely excited. Again, the season, we were so excited uh, on last episode because we knew that season four was coming and it's such a dynamite season. But yeah, starts very slow. But uh, get ready because it picks up dramatically uh, next week. Yeah. You know, the one unusual thing about this episode was we had no Susie. And I think that's part of the reason we thought it was a little bit of a slow episode because, you know, Curb without Susie is not really Curb. But fortunately, Susie will be back next week. And to me, that news sounds like it's... Pretty, pretty, pretty. Pretty, pretty good.